0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Going to end this week um, on the interwebs, I saw this kind of like meme that describes the seasons and I felt like it was appropriate to put up. So <laughs> we have winter, we have like full spring that comes like Somewhere in February, right? Somewhere in February, it hits 70 degrees, and we're like, what's happening? It's spring is coming, and then, bam, it hits us with second winter. Then we have the spring of deception, kind of sometime in March, and then there's third winter, and it says you are here, (laughs) and then underneath that is mud season, Um, and I think that mud season, I I feel like we're starting to get there. Like, we're either there or we're about to enter into this mud season, and then out of mud season, we have actual spring, summer, false fall. I mean, like, which we, that that always comes in September at some point, like, where you feel the Christmas in the air, like, fall is coming, let's apple spice everything, and then, then, you know, you get second summer, you know, in late September, and you're like, it's 80 degrees again, Um, and then, then we actually, yeah, then we actually get actual fall, but we, we find ourselves in this space where, like, spring is here, technically it's here, it's already here, but it's also just, like, not yet. It's also not yet. It's not yet come. We have not experienced the reality of spring coming. Like we look around and like there's there's some things that are happening. Like the birds are chirping, the days are getting longer, the snow is melting. Um, so like there are signs that spring is coming, but there's also some signs of like winter lingering around. Like it is still cold outside. It can still snow. Um, <clears throat> the ground is still incredibly brown. There's really not a ton of life happening and moving around and my question to us is like what would life be like what would happen if like the season just stopped here like in between this like winter and summer and winter spring even mixed like just kind of this place of like what I would call mud season like what if it just kind of ended here and we just stayed in this kind of like perpetual mud pre early spring season like what would that be like what would that be like to our hearts and to our souls? Like, I don't know about you, but like this season is almost more angsty for me than like when it was winter. Because like when it was winter, we could at least say, well, it's winter. But now it's spring and we're like, all right, we have all these expectations and connotations of what spring should be like. And we look around and we're just like, this, this isn't spring yet. We wouldn't know. But we know that it's not winter either. And what would happen if we just kind of stayed in this perpetual state of kind of mud season? I love talking about the seasons because I think the seasons in some way speaks to the seasons that our soul goes through and that we spiritually experience together. And I think some of us understand and know what it is to kind of like go through this season that's just really kind of muddy, where it's like it's not winter anymore, but it's not yet spring. But we know that spring is coming and we just can't, Wait to get there. Some of the ways that we experience this season is just like starting something new. Like a lot of times we start new things. Like we could start like a diet or we could start like a new exercise program or we could start a new project or you could start a new hobby. I mean anything of starting new there's always this like expectation of new life that's coming that like if I start doing this thing then it's going to yield these results and then we start the thing and it gets really hard really quick. Like we start the diet two days in we're like man Those brownies over there look great. We start the exercise program. We're like, man, going to the gym today seems really hard. In my house, we have started a new project. We started a project in the bathroom. We've had this bathroom that has had wallpaper that's been like slowly peeling and falling off the walls. We bought a vanity for it a year ago. So a year ago, we bought this vanity. We are like, we want to tackle this bathroom. It has sat a year where the vanity has stayed in the guest bedroom. And we're just like, all right, we're going to start this thing new. And the way that we started it was we bought a vanity, and then it sat for a year. And now we're at this place where we're like, all right, we're going to tackle the wallpaper. And in my mind, it's a small room. It's a bathroom. We watch the YouTube videos. <laughs> Everyone says easy removal of wallpaper. We're like, great, awesome. And so I'm excited. I'm jacked. We're going to get this done in a day, right? No, no. <laughs> that wallpaper is coming off like piece by piece, little by little. You remove the first layer of paper, then you gotta remove the second layer of paper, and behind that was primer. And not only was there primer to like, make it easier to pull off, because that's normally what primer does, but this primer made it super difficult to pull off, and the primer is actually pulling away from the wall, and so once we get the, wa- the paper off the wall, we now have to like scrape it with paint scrapers to get the wall completely clean, and we've only covered like 20% of it, and yesterday Jacob helped me out a ton, And I told Jacob when I was there, I'm like, man, I'm really glad that you're helping me out because, like, this would be demoralizing. Because I'm like, we now have two sections of the wall done instead of one section, but together those two sections equals one really small section of wall that we have stripped. And it's not even that pretty. Like, there's still primer on the wall. Like, we've got a long ways to go. And so we started in the season of, like, I'm excited, I can't wait. And then we start getting at it, and then it's like, boom, it turns into, like, this muddy season. And when you find yourself in the muddy season, what you often want to do is like begin to find shortcuts. I'm like, I'm ready to, to shortcut anything. We begin to fall into temptations like when you fall into the muddy season of your workout or the muddy season of your diet or whatever it is that you've started, you're just like, man, there's got to be an easier way to do this. There's got to be a way out. There's got to be something that we're missing because this is harder than what it's supposed to be. And I feel like that's what it is in the season of mud, and it's also in the season where we find Israel today in the story of Malachi. In the story of Malachi, the people of Israel are in this place where they have been set free from captivity. So a lot of the prophets that we've been reading has had to do with Israel either heading into captivity or being in captivity. God has delivered them out of that. They have rebuilt the temple. They have been set free. But, it's not to the, the ways that they expected to be set free. There's still some things that are going on that still feel a little bit like winter, that still feel a little bit like captivity in their minds. And they find themselves in this difficult season of like already, but not yet. And so, like I said, they've been set free. They've rebuilt the temple. Um, these have been huge gains. They're no longer slaves. They're no longer ruled by Babylon. What they are ruled by, though, is by this this empire called Persia who came in and took out the Babylonians so this empire called Persia is now ruling over the Israelites but the Persian Empire has given the Israelites a ton of freedom um, they only just have to pay some taxes to the lo- their local governors but at the end of the day compared to slavery, not bad And they get to worship in their own temple they were, were given resources to rebuild their temple um, but the thing is that their temple it's not like the old temple when they finished completing the temple, those who were old enough to remember what the old temple looked like wept over it because it looked like a shack next to the temple that once was. And so the temple's rebuilt, but it's not, it's not quite where they wanted it to be. In the old temple, when the temple was dedicated, God showed up in this like cloud and thunder and lightning and his presence filled it and overflowed it. When they rededicated the second temple like crickets, God didn't show up like he did last time. But they reinstate they reinstate the priesthood. They start giving sacrifices. And they're just kind of looking around. They're like, when is God going to show up? When is God going to show up in power like he did? And then there's finally this last thing that like the prophets, as they said that God would restore them, they felt like that they were going to be restored in all their wealth and all their prosperity and that they were going to become rulers of the world. That God was going to restore them and that they would be the ones ruling, not the Persians. And so they look outside and they're like, yep, we've made some significant grounds. We made some significant gains. This isn't the death that we experienced in Babylon, but it's not what we thought that we were going to either. It's not spring. And we're not happy about that. And so in the middle of this place, the people of Israel begin to become very discontent with God. And the book of Malachi, is God coming near to his people saying, let's have a chat about that. Let's talk about this place that you find yourself in. And so when we open the book of Malachi, in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, this is what God kind of says to his people. He says, I have loved you, said the Lord. But you say, you question me, how have you loved us? That is where the people of Israel are. The people of Israel look to God, and they look up to him, and they're like, God, how how have you loved us? And God comes and visits them, he's like, I have loved you, and I do love you. But I'm meeting you in this place where you question my love. Have you not remembered how I have brought you out of slavery? Do you not remember how I let you restore the temple, how I brought you back to your fields? The people here have the audacity to question God's love just because it isn't what they thought it was going to be yet. But this is an incredibly human thing. You and I, we do this with God also. And it's in this place where God confronts Israel's heart And a number of rhetorical questions, like he's going to confront their heart around their doubt around if God's holding out on them or not in a number of ways. And he begins by (laughs) addressing some of their doubt problems by addressing some of their actions that they've been participating in. And so one of the first things that Israel has been doing is that (laughs) in this season of doubt, in this season where they have questioned if God is, is actually good and if God is actually loving, they've decided to cut back. On their sacrifices. And so they have the temple, they have the priest, they're, they've reinstated Levitical law, they're making sacrifices daily, annually, and instead of bringing their best to the best, they're bringing like their worst. They're like, we're gonna make a sacrifice to like check the box, but like this sheep, it's gonna be blind. And God rejects blind sheep, He rejects sacrifices with deformities. But in a place where you question God's heart and question God's love and you're you're like, it isn't what I thought it was going to be, we bring kind of our blind and subpar sacrifices. And so this is what the people of Israel do and this is how God confronts them. He questions their sacrifices. He says this, he says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that also not evil? He said, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord? Basically, God's saying, like, you wouldn't give this sacrifice to the earthly governor of Persia, would you? Like, you wouldn't present this as a gift to anybody, right? Because it's going to be rejected. But yet, you come to me and you present it to me and, accept, and just think, like, everything's good. That we're good, that you've done your duty of sacrificing to me. Why are you giving me your second best? He says, you wouldn't cheat on your taxes. Why would you cheat on me? But this is where the people of the Lord are. This is kind of where they're at relationally, is that the people of God are questioning, they're doubting, they're like, it is this muddy season. We expected spring, and we found ourselves in the season of mud, and we feel like you're not coming through. And God's like, but I have. And trust me, I need you to wait because I'm, I still have more that's coming. But in this season, their hearts have become fickle and they start giving the worst type of sacrifices to God. Their sin continues as they go out and they begin to marry other foreign and exotic women. So the men go out and they, they see these women from other countries, they're desirable, and so they go out, and they begin to marry these women, and these women worship false gods. Now, we all know where this goes, because this is not a new story for the people of Israel. I mean, just check Solomon. Solomon had his harem of women who worshiped false gods, who kind of got us kicked off and the start of this mess anyways. And so God's kind of saying to his people, look, I see you chasing after these exotic women who don't love me, who don't serve me. You know where this ends. And he goes a little bit further and he's, he sees that not only are they going after these women that are exotic and who worship these other gods, but they're, they're divorcing the women of Israel to go and do this. And God's like, we got a problem here. Because when you married this woman of your youth, like you made a covenant with her and I was present to that covenant and you need to be faithful to that. And so this is what God says to his people to kind of correct their thinking and correct their actions. He says... The Lord was a witness between you and your wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in spirit. Let None of your faithfulness. Do not let any of your faithlessness be to the wife of your youth, For a man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says to the Lord, the God of Israel, he covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. What God is getting at here is there's this kind of like deeper sense that in this season of mud, it's difficult to remain faithful. It's difficult to remain faithful in the season where it's not meeting our expectations. Like I said, it's, easy, it's hard for me to think, great, next step, I need to go scrape primer. Like, I want to rip the walls out. But then I don't want to do the job of covering them with mud again. And so it's like, what do we do to remain faithful? When I'm on a diet, it's just like, we have all these temptations that come and say, hey, I want this thing, I want that thing. Whatever it is that we've committed ourselves to, it's going to be hard, and there's going to be temptations that come and try and steal us away from it. Especially when we find ourselves in the season of in between, of the season of like, yep, we've started this thing; it's already happening, but it's not yet fully fulfilled. And God is saying, wait, and be patient, and be faithful in this season. And in the season, the people's complaint goes up. If we continue the story of Malachi. The people are complaining to God that there's evil everywhere. They say this. They say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. And they ask, where is the God of justice? Basically what's happening is that the people have been set free. They've been restored to their homes. But there are still pockets of injustice happening. They're not happy that they're still ruled by the Persian Empire. They're not happy that they're being taxed. And they're looking around, they're like saying, God why haven't you completed the thing that you said you'd complete? They're saying, why is there still injustice happening? And what God wants to say to them is that, like, do you not see that I'm being patient with you who are not following my commands, who are giving me poor sacrifices, who are out whoring with other countries' women? Do you not see that I am being patient and relenting justice from happening? And that you are part of the injustice that is spreading throughout your country. That's a hard word to receive, but God is saying, be patient. And in being patient, he also says that he's going to take care of them. That he's going to take care of the evil that is in the world. He replies to them by saying this, he says, I am going to send my messenger, and he's going to prepare a way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Because God hasn't shown up in the temple yet. They're like, where is he? When is he going to show up? And God says, I'm coming. And when I come, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be powerful. He says, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight in, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be swift against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, those who oppress the widow, the fatherless, and against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So God's saying, I know that you see injustice still happening around you. Wait and trust that I am going to come and take care of that. And when I do, no one, is going to be able to endure that. No one that lives a life of injustice is going to be able to endure. So just trust me that I'm coming. Trust me that in your waiting, I am going to be faithful. I just need you to wait a little longer. And that's the hard part about early spring, right? Is that like we waited all winter and we get to March and it's like spring and we look outside and Mother Nature's saying like, yep, wait a little longer. And we're just like, I am done waiting. I am done waiting. I am ready for the sun to be warm. I'm ready for flowers to come. I'm ready for late nights in my backyard. I'm ready for bonfires. Like, I am ready for this thing. But God says, wait. Just wait a little bit longer and trust that it is coming. Trust that it is coming. So at this point, the Israelites believe that God has left them. I mean, they're not really sure if God's around, if God's present. They've held back their sacrifices. They've married other women. They're complaining against God that if God really cared, if God really was around, he would deal with this injustice, this pain that we experience because the taxation of the Persians are so severe. It's like they've forgotten where they just came from. I mean, like, this is still in the same lifetime, same generation of people. I mean, it's like when God delivers the people out of Egypt and they're in the desert, he's providing food for them and they're like we should just go back to Egypt because it was better there like we are fickle people and this is where the people of Israel are in this space and we come to find out that not only have they withheld their (laughs) sacrifices but they also have withheld their tithes they've also withheld tithing to God the the sacrifice that was kind of required by God from what the earth produced for them and when you think about it it's kind of reasonable right If you're an Israelite and you just saw your whole land laid to waste, I mean, we just read in the prophets where, like, the trees weren't bearing fruit, the fields were laid to waste, like, there is just death everywhere. You've seen a bunch of people starve to death. And the ground is now just starting to, like, bring up food again and fruit again. You've suffered significant financial losses. The first thing you're going to do is probably just be like, I need to recoup my losses and I need to save some extra in case that happens again soon because we didn't have much saved up last time and it was terrible and people died. And so I'm going to kind of take what's mine, collect my losses. I'm going to take what's also mine, save some for me in case that happens again. And what's left for God in that? Well, probably not a lot, if anything at all. And God is saying, you guys have cheated me. What is mine? I have given you This fruit from the land. And the reason why you guys aren't seeing the life and the fullness and the blessing that you expect is because you have withheld from me the blessing that I have given to you. And so God challenges them to walk in faith. He says, You wonder if I'm around? Let's start acting in a way that you say that you believe that I am around. So I'm going to challenge you. And he answers with this challenge. He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there might be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, that I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down upon you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine or in the field shall not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God is saying, Come and trust me. He's saying, I understand that you have nothing. I understand where you're coming from. But I need you to understand that I've restored you, that I'm giving you life, and that if you would follow me in faith, you would have life abundantly. God is calling them to fear him and to trust him. And he kind of ends the book with this promise this promise saying that if you remember me, if you Fear me if you begin to walk your life out in faith, if you begin to bring sacrifices that are good, if you begin to remain faithful to your wife of your youth, if you re- begin to bring the tithe to me, if you come with a heart that is thankful and grateful and that remembers what the Lord has done for you, I will also remember you. There's this beautiful passage where God says that I will write down the names of the righteous and remember them and I will withhold destruction from them, and I will restore them. God says, come back to me. Come back to me, and hear me, and love me. The book ends also with then another promise, that he's sending yet another prophet before him, that Malachi is not the end. That there is someone coming that will prepare the way of the Lord and that when that guy comes, when the Lord comes, that's when spring will arrive. But the call is to return to him and be faithful in the middle of this season that feels like mud until spring arrives. And they have to wait a long time. They have to wait 400 years until the prophet of John the Baptist shows up and begins declaring the Lord, the way of the Lord. They have to wait then another 33 years until Jesus is crucified and resurrected for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and for the church to go forth. We are still in a season of waiting of 2,000 years for the Lord to return to bring redemption to all things and make all things new again. We are still in the season that is already here, but not yet. And so, in many ways, we find ourselves just like Israel in the land of Malachi. Not everything's as, as amazing as it could be. Healing isn't running prevalent and rampant, restoration isn't happening all the time. Restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation is all very hard. Sickness is still a very real thing, people still are dying. But we have hope. Because Jesus has come and has died and has been resurrected, that one day we too will share in that, that there's a day coming and a day that's coming soon where spring will finally come and we will experience the fullness of life. So we're already here, but we're not yet. We're definitely not in winter anymore. Death, destruction, and decay, that's all been done away with. But man, it feels like early spring because we look around and that's what we see. We still see some death. We still see some destruction. We still see some decay. And we can feel it. We can feel this movement towards life. But there's this really difficult call to remain faithful to God in the middle of this season and trust that he will do it. The problem for the Israelites in Malachi was that their hearts were, their hearts were hardened and they were self-righteous. The problem is that they were not grateful, they were not thankful for everything that the Lord had done for them up until that point. They just wanted more, they wanted more, they wanted more. What they forgot was what God has already done. They'd forgotten the slavery that God had moved them from. They'd forgotten what it was to worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what we see in worship, to what it is to worship is to remember Throughout all of Scripture, God is calling us back to remember Him, to remember where He's shown up, to remember where He saved us. And from that place of remembrance, to then go forth in worship, to go and praise Him, to go make His name known for what He has already done, the ways that we have experienced His faithfulness right now. The problem is, is that we always let the present define us. And right now, it just looks like we've got a lot of primer to scrape. And we want a shortcut. And we're not sure how this is going to get done. But God's saying, don't you remember that I provided the whole house? Don't you remember that I've provided for you to get you to this place already? Don't you remember how I've saved you from the pit and how I've changed your life and provided transformation? So God ends this kind of... (laughs) this prophet in Malachi, he ends with these words to his people. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses and the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. God is saying, remember my commands. He's saying, remember my love. He's saying, remember my deliverance. Remember my provision. Remember how I've been faithful to you up until this point. Remember how I ended winter and death and destruction for you. And I've brought you into this new season of spring. Remember that. And trust in that. Even as you look around and you say, God, where are you? God, where are you being faithful? It's the tough season that we find ourselves in, but it's the season where we need to worship all the more. In Psalm 22, this is the psalm that Jesus kind of alludes to when he's on the cross. It begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's this place where it feels like God is far off and God is distant and God is not near and God does not see the pain or the struggle or the realities of this life that we experience right now. But the way that Psalm 22 ends is that we find this incredible kind of switch of roles that God is actually incredibly near to that voice. He's incredibly near to that space and he's responding to it. And Psalm 22 ends with this. It says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. Here's kind of that two ideas, remembrance and worship and returning to the Lord. He says, for the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. And all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship before him. He shall bow down before him. All shall bow down before him that go down to the dust, even the one that could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord's coming to the next generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people not yet born, that he has done it. That he has done it. So, remembrance bears worship, and worship feeds our faith, and it gives us the courage to live the life of faith where God has placed us right now. And so we need to remember. We need to remember so that we can grow in faith and so that we can live sent lives where God has called us to be because God has us in a certain place to share his love. He has sent us to go call out to dust, like the song that we sing, to come back to life. There's dust and death and destruction around us just waiting to come back to life, and we've been the ambassadors called to go do it. And it's on this Palm Sunday that we remember that we too have fickle hearts. That we were a people that on one day cried out, Hosanna, Lord save us, Lord help us. And that five days later, six days later, we're also in the crowd chanting, crucify him. Crucify him. It's on this Sunday that we remember that we need to return to a place of worship. And that God is inviting us to return back to his heart, to where our proclamation is, Hosanna. And we can stop living the life that says crucify him. This is a tension, this is a struggle that we live in, this is the realities of early spring. But I want to tell you, May is coming. Sunday is coming. Resurrection is coming. New life is coming. And we are called to live lives of faith right now. So my question is, as we are in this place of Holy Week, where is God, the rightful king of the universe? How is he calling you back? Where have we forgotten his love? Where have we forgotten his love in our lives? Where has he showed us love? Where has he restored our past? How is he working to restore our presence? How is he calling you to remember him right now? It's my hope that we would remember that God got us through winter. That God has saved us from the prison sentence of slavery in Babylon. And that he has saved us from ourselves. And that he has shown up in power through his son Jesus on the cross, overcoming death and providing life on the other side. And It's my hope that we would go forward from this place, not just singing a song, not just singing a song of praise, but that we'd go out living a life of worship that sings Hosanna. He has done it. And we trust that spring is coming. That's my prayer for us, and I believe that that's the prayer that God has in Malachi to his people. That his people would return to him and know him and know the love that he has for him, even when the season looks and feels like this. Let's pray for strength, let's pray for faith, and let us worship and remember that our God is good. Amen. God, we thank you for this day, we thank you for this time, we thank you for the book of Malachi, we thank you that Malachi meets us right where we are. Some of us where we're at spiritually, some of us where we're at just physically in the season of waiting. God, we are tired and weary of waiting. God, we feel like we have waited and you're calling us to wait some more and that's disheartening. But God, let us not let this be about us. But God, let us remember how you have brought us to this point. God, let us remember how you have saved us. Let us remember the ways that that you've restored us. Let us remember how you've brought us here to this place and how much better this place is compared to where we were. God, we trust in you. We trust that life and new life is coming, that new life has come, and that there is greater life even yet to come through your son. God, grow us in that, and God, may you allow us to have the strength and the courage to be ambassadors and proclaimers of your good news. And may we live lives that shout Hosanna, that you have done it to the world around us. God, stir in us a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. In your name we pray. Amen.